Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Part of my life, I lived in Hong Kong, and when I first got there, I had two Aussie flatmates who were determined to teach me about Australian culture. And eventually they said to me, look, there's only two things you really need to know about Australian culture. The first one is the castle. So uh, they, they sat me down and they made me watch the castle. And anyone here seen the castle? Right, you, that's Australian culture right there. And they said, the second thing is Steve Irwin. And uh, they sat me down again, and they made me watch episodes of The Crocodile Hunter. And I was, I was convinced. I just thought every Australian thereafter I'd walk around, and they'd just go, crikey! But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, was, I was hooked. I, I just loved watching The Crocodile Hunter. And it seemed as though Steve Irwin lived his life for one purpose. He just loved animals, and he loved his family. And it really came ahead, uh, to a head one day when Stevie had this saltwater crocodile named Bindi. And he really loved his crocodile. And then his wife gave birth to a baby girl. And he thought, what could I do that would really show how much I love this little girl? So he named her Bindi as well, after the saltwater crocodile. So one day, Steve was actually asked about Bindi. And this is what he said. He said, she's the reason I was put on earth. Now, no one could ever work out whether he was talking about the crocodile or his daughter. I hope it was his daughter. But um, I I can remember shortly after that, in 2006, I heard the tragic news that Steve Irwin had died. Uh, Do any of you remember how Steve Irwin died? If you know, can you put up your hand? Okay, so, so Steve Irwin was, uh, he was filming a documentary called The Ocean's Deadlier, Deadliest. No irony there, but uh, he actually got stung by a stingray in the heart, and he died. And at his funeral, they said, look, his death was tragic, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about his life. Let's celebrate all the things that he did, all the achievements that he made. Um, And that's pretty true for most people, right? When they die, we we don't like to talk about their actual death. We talk about their life and the things they did. Now, with Jesus, it's completely different. He is known for his death. Most people can't tell you all the things he did and said, but we all know how he died. And as Christians, we celebrate his death. We celebrate his crucifixion. We make a big deal out of the fact that he died. So this morning, as we look at this passage in John, we're going to look at the purpose of the cross, we're going to look at the power of the cross, and then we're going to look at the paradox of the cross. So firstly, the purpose of the cross And Jesus says in this passage, this is my purpose, to die. Now, everyone could have thought maybe it was his miracles or his teaching that was his ultimate purpose. And it's interesting that historians will look back and that's how they view the life of Jesus. They look at his life. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Actually, it's my death. 
That is the ultimate purpose. So if you're new at City Reach and you're joining us for the first time, as a church, we are going through the Gospel of John. And it's like we've been on a train ride going through the countryside. But now we are getting close to the station. We're getting close to our destination. The whole reason we're on this train ride is to get to this destination. We're coming to the cross. This is the moment. And this is what Jesus says in this moment. Verse 27, he says this. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Now, I think we, we often believe that Jesus never felt any emotion. But here we have a Jesus who feels deeply. He, his soul is troubled. The very depth of who he is feels this trouble. He feels the weight of what lies before him. I don't know if you've ever had that exam or that meeting that you're due to have the next day and you feel the weight of it. Well, you take that feeling and you multiply it and you multiply it and you multiply it and you'll get something of what Jesus felt. But Jesus wasn't troubled because of the pain and the agony of the cross. He wasn't troubled by the beatings that he knew he would endure. He wasn't troubled by the crown of thorns that they would press into his head, the nails that they would hammer into his hands and his feet, the mocking, the insults, or the slow, painful death that he would endure. That's not what troubled his soul, because there were many people who were crucified in that day. What Jesus was troubled by was that he was about to take the sin of the whole world on himself. He was about to take all the evil ever done outside and inside, and he was going to absorb it into himself. And because of that, he would be cut off from his Father. And that is what's troubling Jesus' soul. And this is what, what I love about Jesus, right? This is his humanity on display. We say that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And he's not afraid to meet a troubled soul. And I think we can relate to that. But here's the difference. Jesus has the power to call on his Father to be saved from this hour. And I don't know which is harder, to go through something, but you have no control to change it, or to know that you have the power to change it, and yet you choose to go through with it anyway. And Jesus doesn't shrink back. Instead, he proclaims it, and he says, no, this is the moment. This is the whole reason. This is what it's all about. My time has come. I'm not going to call on my heavenly Father to save me from it because the cross is the purpose. And this is his response. This is what Jesus says at this moment. He says, Father, glorify your name. You see, the purpose of the cross was to glorify his Father. To, to glorify 
means that with all our feeling and our thinking and our actions is in such a way that we reflect God's greatness. We make much of God by shining a light on his character and nature. We shine a light on his goodness, on his love, on his kindness, on his holiness, on his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, and his grace. And Jesus is saying, Father, do this. Let your beauty, your nature, and your character be displayed through this act. You see, the cross highlights God's character. He is perfectly just and holy, and yet, at the same time, He's incredibly merciful. You see, none of us can look out at this world and say that all is well. So this is, these are just some of the headlines from this week, just this week. Here they are. Hong Kong braces for more chaos after night of clashes. French students march in protest after suicide bid. The boy risking his life to collect plastic waste. Three charged over stealing firefighting equipment as police probe suspicious Sydney blazes. Fortnite gamer whose attack on girlfriend was live streamed avoids jail term. It's just from this week. You see, there's, there's something in each of us that longs for justice, that knows that it's not right. You see, we see the sin that is done to others and it makes us angry. We see the sin done to us and it makes us even angrier. But one thing that we fail to see or we we turn a blind eye to or we downplay, is the sin that we commit against a holy God, against his creation and against his people. You see, the cross was a judicial event. It was a place where a righteous and holy God who demands justice, but at the same time offers us mercy. And how can those two things go together? They can only go together at the cross. Let me put it to you like this. Imagine there is a criminal and he is caught and he's brought before a judge. And the judge looks at him and has compassion on him. But he is a just judge. He is committed to doing the right thing. And he looks at the criminal and he pronounces him guilty as he deserves. And he gives him a fine that he no possible way that he could pay. And because he cannot pay that fine, he will need to go to prison. But then the very next thing the judge does is stand up. He takes off his robe, he gets out of his chamber, and he comes down to the criminal, and he takes out his checkbook, and he writes the full amount for the fine. And he says to him, paid in full. Paid in full. And the guilty can go free, 
The guilty goes free. Guys, that's why we gather and we sing and we sing praise is because we've been set free. You see, the cross pays the price and frees us from the legal demands of the law. And that highlights God's glory. In that moment, God answers audibly. Audibly, you hear this voice that says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. He's saying to Jesus, everything that you have done and taught now has reflected who I am. The very likeness and nature of God you have spoken about and taught the people. And you have glorified my name through that. And now I'm going to glorify it through the cross, through this road to Calvary. You are going to shine a light on my justice and my mercy. It will be love on display. And the crowd, the crowd standing there, this is what they say, verse 29. It says, the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now imagine you hear a voice, like an audible voice. And here we get two reactions. The first group say, it had thundered. Now they were Jews and they knew the scripture and they were referring to Psalm 18 where it says, the Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice. They're saying, this is God. This is God speaking. But then you get the others who say, um, an angel has spoken to him. Right? It's supernatural because we can't explain it, but it's not God. So imagine Jesus has just called on his father. He says, Father, glorify your name. And then he gets this answer. You see, and they don't want it to be God because if it is God, we are saying that Jesus is his son. We don't really want to believe that. And Jesus says at this point, he says, you know what, that voice that you just heard, it's not for my sake, it's for yours. You see, Jesus had this intimacy with the Father. He communed with the Father. He didn't need a booming voice from above. It was for the crowd. The answer was giving vindication that Jesus was the Son of God. He is who he said he was. And his purpose, the ultimate display of who God is, is found in the cross. You see, in, in God's timeline, the focal point is the cross. Everything before the cross is pointing towards the cross. We're getting towards the cross. Everything after the cross is lived out in light of the cross. So what is the power of the cross? What is it that changes so much? What does the cross accomplish that God makes this his focal point in all of history? So let's look at the power 
of the cross. Verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So Jesus says there's two things here that we have in the power of the cross. The first one is judgment of this world. Now, Jesus himself said, he said, I have come not to judge, but to save. But what he's talking about here is the world systems. This judgment was on the world systems, systems that rule with power and an iron fist, systems that crush the weak, systems that have appearance for good, but really they are out for their own gain. Systems that serve themselves and puff themselves up. Systems that take advantage of the poor. Systems that would ultimately kill the Son of God. Although he was guilty of no sin, all he had done was taught, he had healed, he had delivered, he had loved, he had served, but the world system sought to kill him. And Jesus says, that world system is going to be judged at the cross. You see, Jesus is about to take that world system and he is about to turn it upside down as he brings in the kingdom of Christ. And as we Christians like to say, he turned it right way up, the way it should be. But how is he going to do that? How is he going to do that? He does it by casting out the ruler of this world. Now, for a lot of people, this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. You see, we, we get that there is a God. We look at the design of creation, and we know that there must be a designer behind it all. But we also know that the world is broken. It's not so good. But we struggle with the idea of a demonic ruler behind such a system. But you know what? The truth is stranger than fiction. We only need to look at some of the things that we are capable of doing to each other. The absolute cruelty that we humans are capable of. How simple sparks in philosophy and history lead to so much destruction, so much bloodshed and dehumanizing. There is a demonic deceiver behind all that. And Jesus says, the cross is going to be the thing that casts him out. You know, that doesn't mean that we don't see his activity still in this world. But it does mean that he is defeated at the cross. He is a defeated enemy at the cross. Yes, he still prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. But at the cross, he has been disarmed of his power. Amen. As believers, we have the power because of the cross to resist him. Amen. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might flee from you. It says he will, he will flee from you because of the power of the cross. Guys, now all this is good news, right? Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom. He is judging the world systems for what they are. He is dethroning 
the deceiver of this world. But now we come to the paradox of the cross. So let's look together. Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You see, all, all that were standing there and were listening to Jesus would have known that when he said, lifted up, they would have known he was talking about crucifixion, about a dying. And as Pastor Timon taught us last week, he said that the way up is actually the way down. But not everyone likes this, right? We like the power stuff. We want the guy who's going to come in, he's going to crush the Romans, he's going to liberate us, so then we can be in power. And besides, we kind of like have interpreted the scriptures to make it in our favor that this is the guy we want, right? Like we've, we've read Daniel. We've read Daniel chapter 7, which tells us this. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Uh, we've kind of interpreted that, that we're going to get a really strong guy, and uh, we want that guy. But now you're telling us uh, the Son of Man needs to be killed? Like, uh, who is this Son of God? Because we kind of want the other one. And I'm always amazed at how Jesus answered questions, right? I don't know if you've ever had that person in your life where you ask them a simple question and the answer they give you, you just like, what did you have in your coffee this morning, right? It's like this crazy answer that you just like, I didn't see that one coming. And it's almost what Jesus does here, right? Jesus could have said, he could have said, all right, stop, guys, stop. Let's just make this simple. It's, it's me, I'm talking about me. Let's open your Bibles to Isaiah 53 and we'll talk about the suffering servant. But he doesn't, right? Instead, he gives this answer, which is absolutely brilliant because it cuts right to the heart of the people that were asking this question. This is what it says, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus goes back to this metaphor that he is the light. He is the one who leads the way, who exposes what is hidden. But here's the paradox. You see, they wanted a king, but they didn't really want to be his subjects. And they wanted a king on their terms. And Jesus says, no, no, the cross actually divides between light and darkness. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm, I'm with you just a little while longer. 
The cross is coming. The train is pulling into the station. This is what it's been all about. So choose now. Light or darkness? And they would have known, right? In the Middle East, in Jesus' day, when you traveled, when you did your walking, you always traveled during the daytime. You never traveled at night. There were no street lamps. It was darkness. You could be attacked. You'd get lost. You could be attacked by wild animals or bandits. You just wouldn't do it. And I kind of wish I had known this uh, because as a, as a youngster, my friend and myself, we uh, took a gap year after school and we went to England. And uh, when we arrived, we were staying with this family uh, and then we had to find a job. Now, there was no Facebook in those days and there were no apps to help you find a job. We had to use something called a newspaper. Yeah, yeah. So we pulled out the newspaper and we found this little ad that said, Strawberry Pickers Wanted. And we thought this was fantastic and there was just an address. So we got a, a bus, we found a bus that took us way out into the English countryside. It was like one bus a day. We got on this bus and out we traveled uh, and it dropped us off and we found this farm uh, and where we got there, it was, we were kind of pointed to where all the strawberry pickers were. And we got there and this guy came up to us, looked really happy, big smile on his face and he says, uh, sorry, like strawberry picking's over, the season's done, like you don't have a job. And then we started looking around this campsite and there was this cloud and everyone was really happy and laid back. And we thought, there's no ways we're staying here tonight. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we've got to get out of here. And we said to the guy, is there, is there a phone we could use? No cell phones in those days. And he said, yeah, there's a, there's a town, like about five kilometers that way. Just walk and you'll find it. So, we're like, okay, we left our bags there and we start walking. Now, it's the late, late in the evening. And we're starting to walk. It's getting darker. And darker, we don't know really where we're going, but we're walking and walking until it's pitch black. And then we see in the distance, a lot more than five kilometers away, a light. A light. And there we have this choice to make, right? Are we going to follow the light? Or do we turn back and we trust the darkness and kind of wander back to the farm and find our stuff? What are we going to do? Do we trust the light or do we turn around and trust the darkness? Now, here's the irony, right? It's a step of faith to trust the light. It is also a step of faith to trust the darkness. So we trusted the light. We walked in. It was a lot, lot further away, but we found this little town, and it was, being a typical English town, the only thing there was a pub we found the pub, we walked in, we picked up the phone, and we called this family. They were our salvation. They came and they rescued us. They took us back to the farm, we picked up our stuff, and we went back, uh, back with them. And I never did become a strawberry picker. Uh, but here's, here's another thing, right? I, I, when I worked for the education department, there was a, a colleague, and he and I were, were really friendly, and uh, he knew I was a Christian, and he would tease me quite a bit. But we would also have these, these interesting conversations about Christianity. And uh, one day we went out for lunch, and he, he passed a comment, and I said, hey, you know 
like, you know what I believe, right? You, I've drawn a line in the sand. You know what I believe. How, how about you? What, what do you believe? And he kind of passed a joking comment. I said, no, no, seriously, tell me, what, what is it that you believe? And he said, well, I don't believe. And I said, I, I know what you don't believe. Tell me what you believe. And then he began kind of like fumbling through these philosophies and like kind of didn't make sense. And then I stopped him and I said, you, you don't know, do you? And he said, well, no, not really. Actually, it's really hard to just think about these things. And I know it'll all work out anyway. You see, there's this trust, this faith that we take, right? Do we take a step and trust the light or do we take a step back and we walk in darkness? Because if we take that step, we will wonder and we have no idea where we're going. And Jesus is saying, take the step towards the light. I'm here, believe in me. And this is what he says, as you believe in the light, you will become sons of the light. Believe in me and you will become children of God. Believe and you will become. You see, because what we believe about the cross, it changes who we become and who we are. And here's the thing, as we believe and we follow the light, we are able to see the purpose in the cross that we carry. Despite the pain and the doubt of the journey that we might be on, we know that the Father will use it to glorify his name. And that is a beautiful thing. He is able to take the ugliest and the hardest thing that we go through and make something beautiful out of it. As you believe in the Son of Man and we believe in the light that he casts and we trust in the power of the cross, we know that we belong to a new kingdom, a kingdom where love and sacrifice are the way. A kingdom that is ever increasing. A kingdom where all people, all nations, all languages are welcome. And a place where the kingdom will never end. And despite what we see around us, we know that the world systems are fading away in the light of the glory of the cross. And as we believe in this light, and we trust in this Son of God, a suffering servant, which shows us how we die to ourselves. That the way up is actually the way down. He is the truth. And here's the thing that he promises. He says, as you walk with me and you trust me, you will become children of light. You will begin to reflect the glory of God. Your life will point to his mercy and his goodness and his holiness. I want to leave you this morning with this. If you are carrying a heavy cross at the moment, I want to remind you that he has a purpose in it. And whatever you are going through, he will use it to glorify his name. 
If you're here this morning and you are struggling with evil and sin, I want to remind you and point you back that the power of the cross is available to us. That is our victory that Jesus has won for us. And if you are walking in darkness this morning, I want to remind you that he is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Trust him. Trust him. Will you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you. And then let's worship this king who laid down his life for us. Father, we stand here this morning as your children. Father, we thank you that because of the cross, we can now call you Abba, Father. We can be close to you, Lord. Father, I pray that we would see again your love displayed on a cross for us, that we will rejoice in it, not only in your death, but your burial and your resurrection. We thank you that these promises are for us today. Lord, help us live in them as we walk out into the world this week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.